Hello and welcome again to another edition of Irreligiosophy, where since January 2009 we have been waging jihad against those infidel, inferior podcasts out there who are not us, the one true podcast. Absolutely. All other podcasts are jahalil. I yes, think that's and, the word. And we're not talking the pansy jihad where you're trying to jihad your spiritual nature. We're talking the <laughs> war jihad. The real jihad. Yeah, the only jihad that matters as we're sticking you in the face. <laughs> yeah, we are going to do this one on Islam, uh, since people have been dying for it, literally. Yes, yes, uh, planes, trains, automobiles. <laughs> uh, but first, before we get to that, shall we go over the uh, Mims Carter Skunk Dick of the Week? Yes, yes, I believe the Mims Carter Skunk Dick of the Week has a plethora of people that we should discuss. And, oh my, is that Kent Hovind there as one of the Skunk Dicks? It is. Our first candidate is Kent Hovind. Uh, now, Kent, it's funny because <laughs> Leighton uh, asked me about what the hell was this. And Kent Hovind does these Nemail um, blogs on, on his uh, CSE blog, which, by the way, is left pretty much blank. I mean, he's got uh, CSE blogs. The title of it's Just Another WordPress Weblog. And did you notice <laughs> down in the About section, this is an example of a WordPress page. You could edit this to put information about yourself or your site so readers know where you're coming from. <laughs> Not the brightest uh, card in the deck, I guess. He's about technologically savvy as my brother Sean is, so... <laughs> So he does these every once in a while. Usually it's him talking directly to God, and of course God's answering him, right? God, why am I of in prison? Uh, Ken, it's because you're like Joseph, uh, right? He was thrown in prison uh, wrongfully, of course, and uh, it served my own ends, blah, blah, blah. This time he's, he's talking about the fossil Artie. <laughs> yes, who, by the way, is an ape, just so everybody knows. Right, it's not a precursor of humans. Um, Artie tells, this, uh, tells us this himself. Um, and this, this uh, occasion was occasioned by Kent Hovind reading an article in Time, that scholarly journal Time. Yes, yes, the scholarly journal that on page 42 of the October 12th points out that apes, or arty, are a long-lost relative of humans. Yeah, um, Kent Hovind says, uh, it's really silly, it would be funny if this stupid evolution theory didn't have such serious side effects. So who are you really? And Artie says... Well, as you can see, I'm less than four feet tall. I guess he's appearing right in front of him. Yeah. Have big toes that stick out to the side so I can grasp tree branches. Have long fingers and have feet that make it possible. But difficult for me to walk on two legs. Wow, that sounds just like lots of ape-like creatures today. Yeah, of course it does, because that's what I am. God designed me for climbing trees. What the fuck is God doing designing stuff just to climb trees? <laughs> well, <laughs> All see, right. to, today is April 20th, which is like National Marijuana Day, so <laughs> maybe God was uh, celebrating that day, just like Kent Hovind, which is why he's seeing a four-foot-tall ape in front of him. Clearly, um... Artie uh, offers the irrefutable argument, uh, that's ridiculous. Humans have babies all the time, and they are always humans. <laughs> well, that's it. Pack up and go home. Yeah, that's, that's evolution the end of evolution. Over. Thank you very much, Artie, for solving this for us. Yeah, um, uh, <laughs> clearly, Artie did not die 4.4 uh, 4 million years ago. Artie died 4,400 years ago. Artie says, I was a teen just about to get married and start my own family. Because 
apes do that all the time. I thought well, Artie was an ape, not a human. What happened? Artie is an ape. Haven't you ever been the best man of an ape wedding? <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. So, so Ken asked, how did you die? And Artie says, it was terrible. We had heard about this na- man named Noah building a big boat. He called an ark because a flood was coming. But it never rained, you know, so everyone thought he was crazy. So then, you know, <laughs> my two of my cousins felt this strange urge to go get on the boat. So they did. So apparently these... Um, Are incestuous. <laughs> brother and sister, I don't know. Hey, they're two, two different cousins. cousins. They're like, eh, look, Noah's asking for people. Come on, sis. Oh, good Lord. Um, so uh, they're digging up their bones and Artie is kind of flabbergasted that they dig up they get paid to dig up the bones he says that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of what good are my bones they can't eat them or build anything out of them what about a you take the skull and build a soup bowl right yeah yeah if you turn it upside down or you can catch the child's blood that you're sacrificing it's very useful actually yeah you make utensils out of the long bones I don't know what Artie's talking about um so uh, he says this is so stupid, but the good news is half the people don't believe in evolution. Artie says, oh, "Good, try to convince the other half, would you?" Kent says, yeah, "Because oh. I'm dead." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I try, but they're what the Bible calls willingly ignorant. Oh, come on, Kent! I've read your thesis. You should not. Be <laughs> <laughs> he should not be throwing around such things as willingly ignorant. Really. <laughs> oh God! And of course, at the end, he actually does talk to God. Why am I not surprised? Maybe God steps in and says, Oh, wait, I've got everything under control, son. Go walk a few laps. I've got your back. I guess that's God saying, Kent, the guys who are trying to shiv you because you are so stupid, don't worry, I got your back. So, <laughs> so Kent, when he gets out exactly at the appointed time, he'll go, Thank God. Thank God you were there. You really yeah. helped me out, fucker. Yep, like Joseph in prison, I will now go to rule Egypt. <laughs> so, our second candidate uh, is, uh, you know, kind of dovetails nicely with our um, subject today. It's uh, promiscuous women cause earthquakes, Iran cleric says. I'm trying to figure out why this is such a surprise to him. Women have earthquakes around me all the time. Look, um... <laughs> Even with the tiny penis. Women who dress provocatively and tempt people into promiscuity are to blame for earthquakes, a leading Iranian hardline cleric has apparently said. The prayer leader, uh, Leighton, you want to pronounce that? That's not bad. Uh, says women and girls who, quote, don't dress appropriately spread promiscuity in society. When promiscuity spreads, earthquakes increase, he says in a video posted Monday on YouTube. So, basically, uh, it's like Tori Amos said, little earthquakes until we get enough promiscuity, and then it just explodes. Well, two things. Number one, I love how it's women and girls, right? Men are not to blame. If women, this is the reason for the burqa, Uh, if women and girls dress inappropriately, so immodestly, they tempt men into promiscuity. It's not the men's fault, it's the women's fault, right? You know, men can't dress uh, promiscuously, they... (laughs) Men, it's impossible for a man to dress immodestly, apparently. Well, I don't find other men attractive, but you gotta get a good pair in front of me, and that tempts me. I, I am honest about that. And second, I think the the headline should have been, Promiscuous Women Cause Earthquakes, Iran Cleric Says, In My Pants. 
<laughs> because of the sexual promiscuity. <laughs> or that could be the crabs that he caught, and they're just moving around. So, uh, you know, um, that apparently... Haiti must have been a, a refuge of... Um, promiscuously dressed women and girls because of that massive earthquake. See, there's, there's one flaw to his thinking. See, last week, Utah had an earthquake right down here in Salt Lake. It only reached 5.0. But I would like to point out that Utah is mostly Mormons, and we all know they don't have sex. So there's a big flaw in that. I um, hate to contradict you, but in a recent study, the per capita porn consumption... Uh, Utah placed first in the nation. But that's porn. We're not talking porn here. We're talking promiscuity. Yeah, well, when you watch porn, those ladies are likely dressed immodestly. That's true, but they're in a different state, so therefore it doesn't count. You watch it in your monitor. That occurs on your state. No, the sexual act is in a different state. I'm just spilling my seed on the earth. Well, remember, perhaps it's the... uh... Uh, all the gay people in Utah and the Roman Emperor was right that uh, buggery causes earthquakes. Yeah, that's, you know, we should send Kent Hovind an email and ask him if watching porn is what causes earthquakes. <laughs> Listen, Kent, <laughs> we want you to decide this for us. Is it women dressing uh, provocatively or is it um, homosexual relations that cause earthquakes? We really uh, want to know. I'm sure we can find a loophole where God is concerned because I gotta throw out a couple of knuckle sandwiches every once in a while and I can't do it without my porn. Because I guarantee you, Kent uh, does not subscribe to plate tectonics. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let, we should ask the ape, Artie, see what he has to say about flogging <laughs> the dolphin. Alright, uh, <laughs> the third skunk dick candidate is Michael DeDora Jr. Now, on PZ's blog, Feringula, he's been having an argument with this guy because... Let me set this up for you. In Tennessee, there's a biology textbook that says the following massively offensive uh, paragraph. Are you ready for this, Leighton? I'm holding on to myself. In the 1970s and 1980s, anti-evolutionists in Arkansas, Tennessee, and Louisiana passed identical bills calling for equal time for teaching evolution and creationism the biblical myth that the universe was created by the Judeo-Christian God in six days. So uh, it's giving kind of a backdrop to the court cases on evolution. Uh, And this Tennessee father is incensed, incensed, outraged, that uh, this textbook, this biology textbook, would call creationism a myth. (laughs) That, That is pretty hard to hear, especially if I was to believe in such a myth. Now I wonder if this Tennessee father is equally outraged at Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, where, as we all know, Bones is discussing the Genesis torpedo, Genesis device, and he says, According to myth, God created Earth in six days. But watch out, here comes Genesis. We'll do it for you in six minutes. I wonder if he... You can't stop yourself, can you? I wonder if he hopped... You just can't stop referring to Star Trek. Hopped out of that movie theater, demanded a refund, and the banning of this uh, Star Trek II... Uh, from the movie theater. Permit. You know, I'm 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 all right with banning Star Trek Two as well. Of course, Star Trek Two was con, so I like that one. But let's let's yeah. ban Star Trek One at least. We may ban Star Trek One, possibly Star Trek Five, at least the Uhura dancing scene. Wait, wait, Star Trek Five was that the Search for God or something? Yes, yes, it was. Uh, I've never made it through that one. Uh, anyway, P. 
PZ uh, posted something saying, you know, the guy's crazy, of course, blah, 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 the guy's an idiot. Now, this Michael Dodora, who does uh, an article or blog for the Center for Inquiry, who does Skeptical Inquirer, uh, disagrees with PZ. He thinks that uh, PZ's overreacting and uh, the biology teachers and textbooks shouldn't go out of their way to ruffle the feathers of the religious. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Hmm... Uh, respect? Yeah, Sean. It's the exact same <laughs> argument. Don't ruffle their feathers. Don't get them irritated. Um, and, and he does this little postscript to this idiotic article uh, because people have criticized him roundly for this, and I think rightly so. Uh, number five uh, criticism is teaching facts is the same thing as denying falsities. He wants to have it both ways. I quote, he says, Some have argued that teaching the Earth is 4.5 billion years old is the same as denying the Earth is 6,000 years old. But one clearly imparts scientific knowledge. The other clearly denies a religious idea. What do you think about that? I think that dude's trying to jump through some hoops. <laughs> there is no difference. There's no difference. If you say the Earth is 4.5 billion years old, you are denying that it is 6,000 years old. There is no difference, and the fundamentalists know there's no difference. They don't like the fact that the science teachers are teaching the Earth is 4.5 billion years old. I guarantee you. They know the difference. The kids know the difference. And by the way, Michael Dodor, if, if you don't want to piss anybody off, what you should say is, students, the Earth, according to science, is 4.5 billion years old. I don't want to step on anyone's religious beliefs, so I want to make it clear that I'm not exactly denying that the Earth is 6,000 years old. I suppose that's a possibility at the same time the Earth being 4.5 billion years old. And by the way, I'm also not denying that the Earth uh, was created when there was a big dragon that had seven little dragons in there, and the male dragon got really mad, and he blew it up, and the bottom of the dragon formed the Earth, and the top of it formed the firmament. And I'm also not denying... <laughs> Any other goddamn motherfucking religious idiocy uh, that anyone wants to uh, say or spout. I don't want to deny it's, the Hindu one. I don't want to deny. We should respect. We should respect all of these. Yes. Look, look, Michael Dodora. It is a myth. Calling a myth a myth is uh, not denouncing religious beliefs. It is a myth. If it is not a myth, tell me what it is. Tell me what the difference is between, say, uh, God making tying a bow in the heavens and making a rainbow, promising there'll never be a flood, and Zeus uh, or Thor being the source of lightning bolts. What's the difference? Why would you not want to step on the toes of uh, a fundamentalist creationist whose views are completely at odd, odds with science, and fact, and reality? And not want to step on the toes of, say, I don't know, Islam or uh, Zoroastrianism. Shinto, Taoism, take your pick. Anything. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, that's, that's the thing that these people don't realize. They have the truth, and therefore don't step on the truth by calling it a myth. If your creation story, if your worldview, if your beliefs... By the way, myth doesn't mean it's false. It just means that it's a little story, right? It could be true, in quotes, on a higher plane. Although, once you get into the realm of science, once you get into claiming the Earth is 6,000 years old, which is demonstrably false, 
then I would say you're the one who has a problem. You're the one uh, who's living in your own little fantasy world, your own little dream world. If, if your world conflicts with reality, I'm sorry. Sending your kid to public school is the least of your worries. Yeah, that's, that's just blatantly denying, and yet we see it every single day with these believers. All right, let's uh, um, feed this into the computer here and see what we come out with. What's your vote? I, my vote is the Islam cleric for putting down women for their promiscuous nature. I think that should be encouraged. In fact, uh, I love spring and summertime because you start to see the uh, clothing start shrinking away. Uh, my vote, I'm going to go out on a limb here because the computers never agreed with any of us. I'm going to vote the Pope this time. <laughs> I'm voting the Pope. You know what? I, I think y you've got a point there. I'm going Glenn Beck. All right, and uh, the computer results are... Stand by. Analysis verified. My God, you're right. It's Glenn Beck. <laughs> you can never go wrong. Even the mention <laughs> of Beck and the computer starts growling. <laughs> the computer hates Glenn Beck. Well, doesn't everybody, though. All right, the uh, computer has actually fed out uh, an audio stream of a recent Glenn Beck show that we'll have to play for you to demonstrate why he has achieved uh, Skunk Dick of the Week. You ready? I said to Pat, I said, something's wrong, and I don't, what do we do? We both prayed, and we went home, and both of us prayed again, and then we both opened up our scriptures, unbeknownst to each other, until the next morning. And I couldn't wait to see Pat, because I had an answer. I said, you won't believe what I found. And he said, wait, 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 me first. About our conversation yesterday, I looked in Malachi. Look it up, Malachi 3.11. I'm paraphrasing. I shall rebuke the devourer for your sake. To me, this message was clear. He's not an enemy of yours. How dare you think he's an enemy of yours? Freedom comes from me, God. Freedom, your rights, belong to me, not you. I will rebuke anyone who tries to devour them. Okay, I, I don't I don't know if Glenn Beck is just stupid, but God's a dick. And if <laughs> if God is in control of my freedom, I want so I want to vote somebody new in. God's a dick. All right, look. Um let me set that up for you. What who he's talking about here is this guy named Van Jones who uh, I think was in a um high post, he's, he's the green czar, the environment guy. Um, this guy has a history of apparently being in crazy left-wing organizations, like revolutionary organizations, which he gave up to kind of work within the system. He's kind of the flip side of Glenn Beck. <laughs> the crazy right-wing extremist. He actually right. got him last September to resign, because he kept talking about him on the show, and uh, the guy actually resigned. Anyway. Just because of what Glenn Beck was saying? Yeah, I think there was a big uh, uprising, and it was a distraction to the health bill that they were trying to uh, get passed. Anyway, um, so he says that he, he he went home, read the scriptures, and what a coincidence! His friend Pat also reads the scriptures. Can can you believe that? When is that? Yeah, what a before? surprise! Not only that, but they prayed before going home to pray and read the scriptures. <laughs> so, so uh, his friend Pat comes upon Malachi three eleven. Now I looked this up because he said look it up, and here's the King James version. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And there's where he stops. 
Okay, but it continues. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. So I thought, well, that's odd. Why does he uh, think that Van Jones is the devourer? Um, but uh, I don't know, maybe he's talking about Satan, who knows. Here's, let me read some other translations for you, because this isn't in the original Hebrew, right? Here's another translation. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Hmm. That one can't be the true one, because we are talking about America and freedom at this moment. Here's the New Living Translation. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. <laughs> or how about God's Words Translation? Then, for your sake, I will stop insects from eating your crops. <laughs> Fucking idiot. Well, oh, we God. all know Glenn Beck is an idiot. I mean, he's a retard. So, so yeah. apparently uh, Van Jones should be fired because he's eating too many crops. Well, I can see that. Uh, most people up there are, are pretty you know, chunky, so he needs his food. My second part is, if God is the one who's in charge of all of our rights and they issue forth from God and he will rebuke anyone who wants to take our rights away from us, then, Glenn, what the fuck are you doing on your talk show? Why don't you fucking put your trust in God and start talking about Angelina Jolie's dress on your talk show? Why don't you talk about current fashion trends or what movies are nice? What the fuck is the point of your entire goddamn talk show? If God's going to take care of it, why don't you retire? Well, see, and that's one thing they don't understand. If, if God is in charge of everything, then you don't have to worry about anything because as long as you're righteous... God will protect you. At least that's the thinking. However, they continue on with this bullshit. So there you have it. Glenn Beck doesn't believe in God, or at least doesn't have any faith in him. Otherwise, he'd retire from his talk show. Yeah, very true. All right, now, before we move on to Islam... God damn it, can't we just get to Islam already? I got one more thing. On a recent episode of the Double Meat Podcast, I was alerted by a listener that uh, Swoopy of Skepticality knows about our show. Um, am I supposed to know about their show? I don't know Double Meat or Skepticality. <laughs> oh, God. Again, it's only one of the biggest uh, podcasts in, in skepticism there is. Uh, well, it's if the you've official... got a name like Swoopy, I guess, uh, I guess the dude deserves to have a good podcast. <laughs> God. It's the official podcast of the Skeptic Magazine. Um, you're, you're hurting me, Leighton. Uh, well, <laughs> she knows you. <laughs> Swoopy oh, knows you. Swoopy's a girl? Uh, le God, let's uh. <laughs> all right, let's. All right, we better listen to this because let's now listen I'm to this. Intrigued. Here we go. Well, have you guys uh, heard the Irreligiosophy podcast? I heard it once. I help keep up. They 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 just did an episode where they were making fun of uh, several different chick tracts, including oh. his um, complete ignorance of uh, African American culture in in several of them. <laughs> yeah, that's um that's Layton's um podcast the, the yep. one true podcast yeah yes. that's a good one that's definitely a good one Layton's podcast my respect for swoopy has just risen in fact uh swoopy i may listen to your podcast because of that comment Layton's podcast well what part of this are you surprised about swoopy you are dead to me swoopy I... you are the new number one apostle I'm excommunicating you from our podcast. Yeah, he doesn't have the power to excommunicate. Don't worry, Swoopy, I'll take care of you. What happens when one of us wants to excommunicate and the other one doesn't? 
Um, we flip a coin, and uh, I get to keep Swoopy. <laughs> you don't even know who Swoopy is. <laughs> I do now. It's a woman, and she likes our podcast, and she knows that I run things. So as far as I'm concerned, she's aces. All right, continuing on to Islam, the actual focus of our uh, show here, this episode. All right. Yes, about time. Charlie likes to be distracted. Let's uh, let's start with the founder of Islam. Uh, well, you know what? Did you ever hear anything about Islam when you were uh, growing up in the church? Uh, because I did in seminary. Well, see, that's funny because I, I did not hear... Well, it was possibly due to the fact that I slept through most of church and seminary. But uh, I didn't hear really about Islam until a plane crashed. I should just stop asking you that question. Yeah, really <laughs> you should. should. Slept through the entirety of your entire church. Pretty close to it, yes. Well, my seminary teacher, uh, they had a, um, I think he just mentioned it as, a, as an aside, but he said that um, Islam has a lot of parallels to Mormonism, right? Um, you have yeah. a prophet who received revelations, just like Joseph Smith. Uh, they allowed for polygamy, just like Joseph Smith. <laughs> they were more open about it. Uh, they had actually a problem with succession, just like Joseph Smith. Um, but a lot of the morals and, and uh, teachings were very similar. Now now that I know a lot about Islam, I would have to say that he's full of shit. Well, that's once again because he didn't do any research into it. He heard it from some other jackass out there, and that caused him to just accept it and swallow it. And the funny thing is, you're absolutely right. Islam is the second largest religion in the world, and yet I didn't know anything about it really until actually researching it. Well, sure. Um, you don't. There's really in the media. There's really not good coverage about it. All we hear about Islam really are terrorists and terrorist jihad. strikes. Yeah, all we hear and, is jihad. We don't even know that there's two different types of jihad. In order, to, right? I didn't until today, um, and it doesn't fit into nice kind of soundbite two-minute segments. It's a complicated topic, and we can only obviously cover it superficially here, but we'll give it our best shot. Yep. Let's, let's start with Muhammad. Um, Muhammad was orphaned at an early age. Um, both his mother and his father died. Uh, he uh, grew up under the um, protection and guidance of his uncle, who was a relatively well-to-do member of a prominent tribe. Uh, however, he was illiterate. <laughs> he didn't uh, <laughs> educate Muhammad all that well uh, and worked as a, a caravan manager um, and a trader until he uh, began receiving, <laughs> hearing voices, I guess is the proper term. <laughs> I um, love how it always starts with somebody is hearing voices and then you start to wonder, were they eating mushrooms with their sound? <laughs> well, you know, um, when he, uh, he, he was a businessman and he would often like to retreat to this cave kind of on a hilltop to think about things and reflect apparently it's too noisy down there in uh, Mecca where he lived and he yeah, liked in the valley the where there was a neighbor three miles away yeah well you know that rap music and the car honking and uh, all that stuff yeah, really yeah gets the goats on. bleeding <laughs> tied to the fence <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes they that can get noisy as the goats are pleading to be let go. <laughs> so uh, he goes up to the cave uh, one day when he's 40 years old, and he heard the voice of an angel, the angel Moroni. Yes, I've heard this story before. <laughs> Actually, it was Gabriel. I don't know if he... He should have just came at home in his home like Moroni did, but he made him uh, go to the cave. Of course he did. 
it, it, it's silent out there. No one else is there to witness it. Of course. Just like Joseph Smith's bedroom. Yep. So um, <laughs> he told him to quit wanking and recite. <laughs> yes, yes, put down your dolphin. So Muhammad said he didn't know what to recite. <laughs> Two more times the angel commands him recite. And finally he does. He recites. He says, recite in the name of your Lord who has created. Created man out of a germ cell. I think that clot is another translation. Recite for your Lord as the most generous one who is taught by the pen, taught man what he did not know. Wise words from, I think it was Muhammad. Or Gabriel. Well, or I don't know. Somebody was reciting something. Uh, he <laughs> continued to receive revelations for 22 more years until he died in 632. So he started receiving his revelations in the year 620, I think. Um, and uh, to back up a little bit, uh, the, the environment that this revelation was received in is 7th century Arabia, um, where you've got kind of the Byzantine Empire on one side, the Persian Empire on the other. Mecca is uh, pagan at the time. It, it um, consisted of 360 gods and goddesses that are associated with various sacred things, right? Trees, rocks, springs, everything around them. Rivers, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they, these gods and goddesses served as protectors of the tribes. And, uh, of course, you know, you'd do little rituals to... Um, apply their favor, I guess, just like uh, regular paganism over in Rome and Egypt, Greece. Uh, there there were little, just like regular paganism, little sense of any sort of uh, uh, coherent set of morals. Uh, the morals of the time were tribal morals, right? If you're strong, then you get to kick the shit out of other people. Uh, and vengeance, you know, if you were wronged, you go over there and kick their asses. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, where you um, make the pilgrimage to the Kaaba, this this huge building. Um, <laughs> it was the main site of an annual pilgrimage for pagans. At this time, no again, shit. The Hajj, yeah, is actually a pilgrimage to a pagan place. Yeah, it's carried over um, at the head of the 360 gods and goddesses. Right, uh, was a god named Allah. He was a creator of the universe, but remote to everyday concerns. Uh, kind of like the deist god, or perhaps Conan's god of Sumeria, Krom. You <laughs> can't really pray to him because he doesn't give a shit about him. Yeah. Um, this pilgrimage was very profitable. It was a source of trade from all over. People traveled from all over. Um, and you can see why they didn't want to give it up. So what um, Muhammad did after the Hajj when he just said, Hey, uh, uh, this was originally built by Abraham and Ishmael, right? Uh, but then and it was of course it's been yeah. <laughs> lost, you know, when polytheism took over. Yeah, so, well, they love to bring up that the Islamic tradition holds the messages and revelations that have been changed and distorted over time. So basically, all of us out here who believe in any other form of Christianity or so on and so forth, that's just the distorted. Does that does that sound? Uh, oh, I don't know. Repetitive in it's religion. What Every single goddamn monotheistic religion does. The Jews don't know what they're talking about. We have the original, right? The Christians yeah. don't know it. Even though we came later on the scene than any other monotheistic religion, we're the original, right? Is it Seventh-day yeah. Adventists do it? Jehovah's Witness do it? It's, Mormonism it's does it? It's completely repetitive. Would you guys stop thing. saying that everybody else is distorting the true teachings? Really, come <laughs> up with a better line. So... <laughs> So uh, Muhammad comes down from the cave top, 
tells his wife, uh, I think her name was Khadiji, she's 15 years older than he was. Um, he's 25, she's 40. Um, uh, she was a first woman convert. And actually his only wife until she died. Uh, after that, Muhammad he had a lot of wives, um, some widows, uh, others he married to forge alliances like Alexander the Great did. <laughs> he had his generals <laughs> forge alliances. Anyway, um, he goes down and he starts preaching, right, um, to this society that's ignorant of Islam, Jahalia. Uh, this originally meant pre-Islamic Arabia, but it uh, has been reappropriated in modern times to uh, say, you know, talk about any society that's un-Islamic or anti-Islamic. Uh, I guess that's us, right, the United States, we're Jahalia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you, Howdy, on us. And the the first ten years is uh, um, he's preaching this program of reform, right? Which obviously the existing tribal powers don't like, and he's not very successful because he's he's denouncing the exploitation of orphans. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, wonder where that one came from. Yeah. And their inheritance rights, you know, they should inherit the the right the. The property and, and wealth of their. I, I wonder where these thoughts are coming from. Definitely the angel. Yeah, definitely the angel. You know, he's talking about religious equality of men and women, um, the oppressed, uh, all these people who are oppressed. He's championing kind of just like Jesus. Uh, he did expand on the marriage and inheritance rights of women. Um, this, these things undermine the traditional tribal authorities, uh, and it also undermines the profitable. Uh, pilgrimage to this pagan shrine because it was pagan, right? <laughs> and he's saying that there's only one God. And so he's pissing these people off. And eventually um, they they notice him and they don't like him and they target his uncle uh, who's um, backing him. And uh, his uncle ended up going uh, bankrupt and, and Muhammad becomes a target for assassination. This leads, us, this leads us to the night journey or ascension. So during this time of trouble, Muhammad's sleeping near the Kaaba, and he's awakened by the angel Gabriel. These guys always wake him up. Moroni wakes up Joseph Smith, Gabriel's yeah. waking him up. What the hell? Why are they always having their visions, either in dark caves where they're all alone or during a deep sleep? What the Yeah, hell? coincidentally, just after they fall asleep, yeah. <laughs> they have these visions. That's very interesting. So uh, Gabriel tells him to get on this magical uh, horse, and the horse flies him away from Mecca to Jerusalem. Um, now, at you know, I've seen this on YouTube. <laughs> Isn't there something about Candy Island or Candy Mountain that they should go towards? <laughs> Muhammad climbs this big ladder leading to the throne of God. Now, along the way, he meets prophets and patriarchs, right? So he Abraham. Use a kidney. <laughs> Abraham is there. I guess these guys are just hanging on the ladder, right? Yeah, Abraham's just there. Hanging. Joseph's there. Moses, Jesus, John the Baptist. And a bunch of others. So he climbs up the ladder, meets God in his throne room, and uh, God apparently fixes the number of prayers that you're supposed to do per day at five. So this is when that was fixed at five. All one right. of the pillars of, of Islam. Um, this night journey makes Jerusalem the third holiest city after Mecca and Medina. And this is why, basically, I think Jews and uh, Muslims don't really get along together. They both like Jerusalem. Well, you know, if you're going to pick a holy place, don't pick it where you got two large factions of people. <laughs> in 622, um, the the city of Yathrib, which was later to become Medina, sends this invitation to Muhammad because he's got this reputation as an arbiter, a fair guy. Um, and he said they're looking for an arbiter because they're these two warring clans, right? So um, Muhammad accepts, and uh, he kind of moves his settlement there and uh, he he goes there because he's uh, he escapes a plot to kill him uh, 
Uh, and so he he flies over to um, Yathrib, and this is um, called later known as the Hijra. Did this flight? Yeah, I'm sure you're mispronouncing that about as badly as I normally do. Probably. I don't know. I don't know anything about Arabic. <laughs> Actually, the Muslim calendar begins with the year of the Hijra. So uh, instead of saying the year when Muhammad was born or when he was first received his revelation, the calendar actually begins year zero is the Hijra. <laughs> well, which makes sense and which should piss off a lot of Christians out there. After all, they're already upset with us saying CE instead of BC. So. Yeah, I don't know why you'd set your calendar um, in the day that uh, Muhammad's running for his life. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get this shit out of here. Well, that's so, because that's when they all realized how special he was. I love this because, you know, in times of danger down through the centuries, right, they they have two things that you can do <laughs> when when you're placed in danger. One is the hijra, which you, you run <laughs> and flee. <laughs> the other is jihad, you know, you stand and fight. So anyway, he flees to, to Medina, and uh, actually his fortunes are better there in Medina. He uh, uh, people are uh, kind of respect him, and and he gets kind of political and, and personal and religious clout. So, uh, just a couple years, he fights a, a battle against the Meccans, who are still pissing him off uh, because he, <laughs> he's conducting raids against these Meccan caravans, and uh, they're pissing him off because they're fighting back. <laughs> so, I don't know why they would get. I mean, really. You should just give uh, him yeah. your stuff. He is the one who talks to angels in his sleep. Exactly. Exactly. So the Battle of Badr in uh, 624, uh, Muhammad's army is actually outnumbered, vastly outnumbered. Uh, and he, uh, alongside apparently thousands of angels, defeats the superior forces of the Meccans. Defeats them, hands them a defeat. They run back, though, claiming they will be back. And they were. <laughs> they were a year later. See, I, I love the fact that these Meccans are fighting, all of a sudden these angels come down and kick their ass, and as they're running away, they're thinking, hmm, we'll be back to fight these angels. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense to me. You know, they're angels, because in, in Islam theology, the angels have huge wings. Yeah. So it's not like they're just people in cloaks. They're actual angels with wings, flying around, beating the shit yeah. out of people. Sometimes two, sometimes four, sometimes as many as God wants to give them. <laughs> A year later, uh, they did come back in the Battle of Uhud, uh, the Meccans overwhelm the Muslims and soundly defeat them. They even wounded Muhammad, so it's a huge setback for uh, uh, the Muslims. Where were but the angels then? They were taking a coffee break. <laughs> oh shit, is he fighting again? God damn it. <laughs> Sorry! Sorry, the caffeine constipated me. I'll be down in a minute. Sorry, union rules. I'm on break. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Muhammad regroups um, the Meccans regroup. They think now they're going to get it. You know, this is it. They besiege uh, Medina in the Battle of the Trench. Now, uh, the Muslims had dug this big trench, uh, and uh, they actually withstood the siege, and the Meccans were forced forced to withdraw. And uh, actually, after this battle, who you know, they didn't think they were going to win, Muhammad ascended to a, a position of recognized influence within the community. So he's now gaining kind of political uh, clout hmm. as a leader. Incidentally, Muslim-Jewish relations deteriorated after this battle. You know, it, before this, there's a revelation in the Quran that says that um, uh, Jews and Christians are people of the book. They've received revelations, even though they've uh, corrupted them. But they've received revelations. They're the people of, you know, Abraham, just like um, Islam. Uh, 
Um, incidentally, uh, again, another sidetrack. Uh, these Muslims trace their lineage down through uh, Abraham, just like the Jews. But instead of um, Isaac and, and Rebekah, they go through Hagar and Ishmael. You know how Hagar was kicked out? Yeah. yeah that's was forced to flee in the wilderness. So um, we're just talking an extra branch off the tree. Right. They descend through that lineage. That's what they claim. Anyway, so he says that the Jews and the Christians are, are people of the book, and they're seen as allies of the community against the pagans. They are entitled to live in coexistence with Muslims. They have the right to retain and practice their religion. All they have to do is uh, give uh, Muhammad loyalty, and they have to pay a head tax. <laughs> so, you know. Um, which actually is more fair, I think, than the Christian treatment of the pagans, which was to kill them. Yeah. Well, you know, or, uh, the Christians were the ones that were persecuted. Or the Christian's treatment of the Muslims later on. Anyway, so in uh, the, the, what I'm saying is that the Muslim-Jewish relations deteriorated because one of the tribes of Jews actually helped the enemies. Um, and he had to kind of uh, go back and settle that score. And so after he finished with the Meccans, he attacked the, the Jewish tribe, besieged them for 25 days, and he won. And what he did was kill all of the Jewish men and take the women and children as slaves. Oh, where have so, I heard that before? Yeah, right, Joshua Numbers. Um, it, I think this was typical of the you know how they treated their enemies at the time. Um, and certainly I think he, he viewed these people as combatants because they aided and abetted the, his enemy, so they weren't uh, entitled to the protection normally accorded to the people of the book. But this was kind of the first uh, <laughs> step on Muslim-Jewish uh, relations deteriorating. <laughs> so in, in 628, uh, a truce was struck between the Meccans and, and Muslim, allowing the Muslims to, to make a pilgrimage to, to the shrine of Kaaba in exchange for Muhammad no longer conducting his raids uh, against their caravans. What he was trying to do, I think, was trying to blockade the, the Meccans and uh, isolate them economically, kind of like the United Nations does, <laughs> economic yeah. sanctions. Uh, but in 630, client tribes of Mecca and Medina clash, and Muhammad uh, sees this as a violation of the truce and moves against Mecca with a large force. Meccans surrender and they convert to Islam, and actually Muhammad grants amnesty to all his former enemies. Very shrewd uh, movement. He does go into uh, Kaaba, cleanses it of the 360, 360 idols, rededicates it to uh, Islam, uh, and that pretty much uh, enforces uh, Islam throughout. You know, two years later when he died, the entire Arabian Peninsula, I think, is united under Islam. Well, if nothing else, he's persuasive. Uh, yeah, well, by the sword, mostly. <laughs> yeah. Well, is Very, there any other way to be more persuasive? Yeah. So now we get into the difference between Sunni Muslims and Shia Muslims, right? After he died, uh, there was no line of succession, basically. And so you split into two groups. One is the Sunni, which is the majority of Islam. This is 85% of Islam. Uh, the Sunni think that uh, the succession should be decided upon who is the most qualified, right? Yeah. Succession by uh, merit, basically. The Shia disagree. They say that it should go to the um, closest male relative of Muhammad. And see, and this is something that I always find funny about these religions that be are, are made up, is uh, the people like Muhammad, Joseph Hang Smith. Hang on, which religions are not made up? Well, all of them. This is what I'm talking about. I'm okay. talking about the people who actually just start them up like this in one big rush within their lifetime. Right. 
Right. They never, ever, ever lay down the rules of how to carry on after I'm dead. It, they just kind of die and leave people to figure it out after that. It's bizarre because Muhammad actually gave a farewell sermon, his last sermon, saying, this is it, this is all I'm going to talk to you. And then, like, two months later, he died. So you'd think he would have laid out some sort of plan of succession in the last sermon. Yeah, by the um, way, guys, uh, this is how you run my church after I'm dead. Yeah. Now, the Quran explicitly says Muhammad's the last prophet. No prophet's going to follow. Uh, so what you have in Sunni is um, kind of political successors to uh, Muhammad, the uh, rightly guided caliphs, the, the first four successors to Muhammad. Um, these are all companions of Muhammad. They're all chosen by a process of consultation. And this is where everything kind of uh, sifts into place and stops changing. It kind of coalesces. So the, the Sunni choose uh, Abu Bakr, who's a political and military successor, but not the religious successor. The Shia say that, um, that this guy named Ali, who I believe is the cousin of Muhammad, hmm. yep. uh, believe that succession should be hereditary within the Prophet's family. Well, I wonder uh, and, why. And this actually should be uh, the leader or imam. So an imam is not a prophet, but he's divinely inspired, sinless, and infallible, kind of like the Pope. Uh, so, you know, for the Shia, the Imam is both a religious and political leader, unlike the Sunni, who just see him as a political leader. He serves as the final authoritative interpreter of God's will. Uh, the Sunni uh, prevailed. Ali was passed over actually three times. <laughs> he became the, the caliph only after 35 years. And once he became caliph, he was uh, assassinated a few years later. <laughs> so he didn't, didn't enjoy his victory like very long. Yeah, people don't like him. Yeah, after his death, um, Mu'awiyah, a general and governor of Damascus, uh, asserted his power and actually started the Umayyad dynasty. In 680, Ali's son, Hussein, rebelled and was slaughtered by the forces of the, of the Umayyads. Um, this is called the martyrdom of Hussein, and it kind of serves as, as the model or paradigm of suffering that, that the Shia have, have, have used his guidance ever since. It came up in like the Afghanistan uh, revolt against the Soviet Union, came up against the Iran-Iraq war. Um, anyway, so that's kind of the difference between the Shia and the, the Sunni. The um, Sunni see their successes, you know, the, the expansion of the Islam empire as divine justification um, and saying that they were right. The Shia see it as an oppression. <laughs> they were oppressed and they continue the jihad, the struggle to form a just society. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's that's the real big important issue there is oppression. Which is why there's no oppression in Islam today. None. None whatsoever. They have succeeded, and God is going to come down and kick the asses of the atheists. I thought um, one of the five pillars of Islam was oppression. Uh, well, that's probably just their look view on masturbation, but yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, shall we get to the five pillars of Islam? Well, now, before we get into the five pillars of Islam, one of the things I was looking into is how exactly you become Muslim. Because uh, I was looking up the numbers, and the numbers are Christianity is 2.1 to 2.2 billion followers. Islam is 1.2 to 1.3 billion followers. And in fact, it's, it's very interesting to look at the numbers, because with Christianity, there's 22.7 million births every year. 2.5 million conversions, and so that gives Christianity a growth rate of 1.36%. With Islam, they have almost the same amount of births. They have 21.7, so just they're just missing the births, 
by one million, and uh, their conversion rate is only eight hundred and sixty-five thousand. But with their growth rate, they are slaughtering Christianity because Christianity is pulling in twenty-five million new adherents per year. Islam is pulling in twenty-two million. But most of that's because they have large families. Is that right? They're just—it's um, not They're, conversion. It's massive uh, family size. Well, they're breeding like rabbits, but if you look at the numbers of Christianity and Islam conversions, and uh, you kind of equal it out for their particular sizes, they're about even for people converting over either Christianity or Islam. It was it was very fascinating to see. And the interesting thing is, is when you go to the site to find out how to convert to uh, to Islam, you actually find out that it all deals with these five pillars of Islam. If you are willing to do these five pillars then you can become a follower of Islam. Yeah, it's interesting. Islam's more about um, orthopraxy, you know, right practice, doing the five pillars, than orthodoxy, which is the right belief, which is, you know, Christianity. Yeah. yeah. And so in that sense, Islam's more like pagan uh, religions, right? They're, all you have to do really is sacrifice. Um, if, if you sacrifice, then who cares what you believe? <laughs> yeah, who cares? As long as you're giving the gods their due. That's all that right. matters. Right, exactly. All right, all right. Let's uh, cover the five pillars of Islam. All right. Well, the first one, and the most important, is known as the Shahada. And that is basically just professing monotheism and accepting Muhammad as God's messenger. And in fact, this is the translation. I profess that there is no other God worthy of worship except Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. So as long as you can accept that and say it, which the Arabic way is Ashadu Alala Ilila Alala Ilila Wash Yeah, I'm not even continuing. So as long that as you can say that good. in mu- <laughs> I'm sure that was right on. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure our Muslim listeners out there are nodding along going, why did he stop? <laughs> yeah, the Quran says, he is Allah, there is no God but he. He is the knower of the invisible and the visible. He is the, what does that mean, knower of the invisible and the visible? Well, I'm, judging that means from if the you, belief systems. If yeah. you fart anywhere on the planet, Allah knows. <laughs> there is no there is no farting and then people just kind of looking around. <clears throat> Allah's like, uh-huh. Ibrahim did it. Yeah, yeah. He who smelt it did not <laughs> dealt it. <laughs> that was Hussein. He is the merciful and the compassionate. He is Allah. There is no God but He. He is the sovereign, the holy, the peaceable, the keeper of faith, the preserver, the mighty, the compeller, the sublime. Glorified be Allah above all they associate with Him. And that's actually, that last line's pretty important. You know, you wonder why. You can't have any uh, representations of God in uh, Islam or Muhammad because associating anything with God is idolatry. So any type of image or any association is inherently less than what God is, and therefore it is idolatry, it is blasphemy. And it's actually the one unforgivable sin for those who do not repent. That's why there's no representations in Islamic art. Yeah, and you got to love that shit. If you're an artist out there, do not draw about your beliefs. That's bad mojo. The uh, second pillar of Islam is salah, prayer or worship. I remember this was he was supposed to be said salat. Th- this <laughs> <laughs> this um, is five times a day. So you pray uh. daybreak, noon, mid afternoon, sunset, and evening. 
This sanctifies the entire day to God. Apparently, prayers, the sanctity of prayers only lasts a couple hours, and then you got to pray again. That this effect wears off. Yeah, yeah. Well, basically, every prayer, you have to do a certain amount of rakat, which is prescribed movements and words followed by uh, Muslims during uh, worship. And uh, it, it, it either right, it, consists of two, three, or four rakat. Yeah, standing, bowing, kneeling, touching the ground with one's forehead, sitting, anything. Yeah, you just have to do it over and over again for each one of these prayers, and they have certain numbers for each one. So this is uh, recorded in Quran 2, verse 185. This is God talking. I am near. I answer the appeal of the prayerful one whenever he appeals to me. Let them respond to me and believe in me so that they can be directed. Well, uh, wow. Ask and the, ye shall receive, right? Yep, yep. So any Muslim asks for anything, immediately he gets it. Whenever yep. he appeals to me. Which is five times a day. I gotta tell you, I'd keep wishing for that guy in front of me to shit out a gold brick. I'd wish for some fucking earplugs if I were God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> a billion people praying five times a day? Well, they're not all in the same country. That's just where the mass majority of them are. Right, so you're up 24 hours. Never get any sleep. Yeah. God needs rest. So much for a nap right in the middle of the day. <laughs> you gotta kind of plan when you're tired. <laughs> So you know, you have to do is you have to face Mecca, right, which houses the Kaaba, the house of God. Yeah. Um, originally, by the way, they faced Jerusalem. Muhammad expected that the Jews of Medina would accept the message of Islam, and uh, so originally these guys prayed five times a day toward Jerusalem. Now these Jews didn't accept the message; they didn't convert. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Uh, and so Muhammad received a convenient revelation, changing the direction of prayer from <laughs> Jerusalem to Mecca. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how long it got to uh, his, the outskirts of his followers, where all of a sudden prayer comes along and people are starting to bend down each different ways and start getting angry with each other. I'll bet you fights broke out over that. Bonk, shit. Bonking their heads together. God yeah. damn it. God damn it. Why aren't you facing the right way? I wonder what the angle difference is, you know. Okay, everyone, 30 degrees this way. <laughs> well, see, and that brings Ridiculous. up a good point. Depending on the continent you're living on, like, I mean, do you have to aim a certain degree to make sure you're on the way to Mecca? <laughs> well, let's yeah. see. We are in Moscow right now. That's 36 degrees east. I think, well, what happens is in their mosques, they have a little, like, a niche and that wall faces Mecca, so you pray toward that little niche, wherever you are. Uh, so basically you're trusting the construction workers who put the thing together. Well, yeah, and I think a lot of these niches had to be moved, um, because with GPS and satellite images, they found out that a lot of these niches were pointing <laughs> in the wrong direction. <laughs> Why, it's too bad God's messenger didn't come down and correct <laughs> amazing, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, God. It was God who created the GPS, which is why they, they were turned proper. Right. Angels don't have GPSs. Yes. Um, though not required, it is preferable and actually more meritorious to pray communally, right, with others. Yep. Um, once a week, as a matter of fact, on, on Friday, Muslims have a communal prayer in a mosque. Um, mosque, by the way, literally means place of prostration. Um. So every week they got to get together and have a communal prayer. Uh, you remove your shoes just like Moses did right before the burning bush. You stand on holy yeah. ground, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, they get together and pray on Friday. Well, see, the the most fascinating thing is... Well, I hang had... on a second, and I didn't find this out. Do you know if this Friday prayer is in addition to the five, so you have to pray six times on Friday? 
You know, I couldn't find that answer either. I was looking for that too. I bet it is. I bet you have to pray six times on Friday. Probably. Well, anyway, what I was going to say is uh, I was a member of the Coast Guard, and on my first ship, I ran across my first Muslim. And how I ran across and found out he was Muslim is I nearly tripped over him while I was coming up to take command <laughs> of, of the watch. Nice. And he was down on the ground uh, kneeling and praying, and I, I just kind of stumbled on him. I'm like, oh. I'm like, sorry, I'll give you some time. <laughs> nice. So, yes, nice. that was my first experience with a Muslim. So Yeah, they'll do it anywhere. They'll roll out a little prayer mat and, uh, you know, anywhere they are. Um, yep. I think that uh, they used to do it on airplanes, but I think that's actually decreased since 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder why. Yeah, no. This, yeah, well, this good was way to get the shit kicked out of you. Yeah, this was after 9-11, and, uh, I mean, the dude was a great dude. I, I love the dude to death. Well, you're on a boat, right? Yeah, we're on a boat. He yeah. was up on the bridge, and he just threw out his little prayer roll and was down on his knees. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so the third pillar is uh, zakat, which literally means purification, and it refers to uh, the tithe or almsgiving. Yeah, almsgiving. And you know what? i got to say that these guys are much more... F you know, forgiving where one's wealth is concerned than the Mormons who have to give 10%. Right. Um, this is a 2.5% tax on the total wealth and assets, and that's paid yearly, right? Yep, that's that's paid yearly. <clears throat> now, it, it's interesting because if you, let, let's say you don't make much money, then there is a minimum that has to be paid. It's uh, the the nasab, which was three ounces of gold or uh, eighty-seven grams, about, and uh, basically it's approximately two thousand six hundred and forty dollars in today's in or American currency. And so, if you make under a certain amount, you at least have to pay two thousand dollars. Wow. Uh, I, the purpose of the tithe is to purify the soul of the person who gives, much like Christmas, right? Yes, it yes. is better to be given than receive. Uh, it reminds Muslim that their wealth is a gift from God, and also, um, it it, uh, yeah. it actually is often uh, mentioned in the, mentioned in the same verse with prayer in the Quran. And there's this saying that prayer brings one halfway to God, right? It brings you to the door of God, uh, and almsgiving actually gets you inside. <laughs> well, unfortunately, if you're a Shiite you're expected to pay an additional amount in the form of what's known as Coombs tax. Coombs tax. Coombs tax. <laughs> so uh, if you're a Shiite, Coombs tax, which is according to the Shia Islamic legal terminology, it means one-fifth of certain items which a person acquires as wealth and which must be paid as an Islamic tax. Is that just in the Shia community, or is that a tax that Sunnis are imposing on Shias because they're different? It just says many Shiites, so it it, it may Must be, be within the Shia community. Within the community itself, yes. So this is actually it's paid during Ramadan, the month of the fast, um, which is the next pillar. Uh, it is mandatory, not voluntary. Yes, um, mandatory. Um, there, the alms are actually for the poor and the needy, and in ancient times. It was collected by the state. So the state collected it and distributed it. Uh, yeah, right now, now, the interesting thing is they could only distribute it in the area where it was collected. So if you're outside that area, you're just shit out of luck. Well, if you're outside the area, then you're distributing it to your neighbors if you're a small community. But yeah, <laughs> they, they don't take it and they don't spread it all over the rest of their religion. 
So if you've got a rich community, then that money is being distributed within that rich community. To the, the least rich among you? <laughs> to the least rich among you, yes. Who's relatively poor. Um, <laughs> yes, right... your mansion is smaller than mine. Here's my tax. <laughs> right now, the distribution of this is up to each individual most commonly. However, some states are moving in the direction of actually going back and um, actually taxing this, uh, collecting it, and distributing it. Now, this has raised a bunch of controversy because people don't want their money in the hands of the state or they think they're going to get into their bank accounts and grab it from their bank accounts because they don't have control over where it's distributed, right? So you don't want your money that, that's supposed to be given to the poor given to line some bureaucrat's pocket. But Pakistan has already done this. They um, One day when they awoke on the morning news, they said, hey, guess what? <laughs> the state's going to collect and distribute this tax for you. Where Pakistan is concerned, I think they're doing the proper thing because they are truly lining the pocket of bureaucrats. But that kind of goes against the four principles that are supposed to be followed when you're doing the sakah, which, of course, is the giver must first declare Allah his intention to give the sakah. Because, of course, God, who is omniscient, is too stupid to realize that you are about to give your money on the day that you're supposed to give your money. He's pretty senile, so you got to remind this guy over. It's like he's got Alzheimer's. He keeps forgetting every <laughs> fucking year. Five times a day, from what I hear. <laughs> All right, so that, that's so why that, they pray so much. You just figured it out. <laughs> Yeah, God has Alzheimer's. He's just barely getting on that. <laughs> For the third time, O oh Lord. <laughs> I want to raise. Mother of Christ, O oh Lord, why must I say this again? <laughs> All right, so here's a funny little thing. So the zakah must be paid on the day that it's due. And if you don't pay it, that means people are going to think you are refusing to fulfill God's wishes. Heaven so, forbid. Yeah, heaven forbid you go against your senile God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the third thing is payment must be in kind. And what this means is if you have a lot of money, then you need to pay 2.5% of your income. If you don't have much money, then you need to pay in a different way, like doing good deeds or having good behavior towards others. So technically... If you don't have much money, although you are still required to pay the nasab, which is about $2,000, you can make up for the rest of it with good deeds and good behavior. Huh, interesting. So what if you're dirt poor, have no money whatsoever? Uh, then you better do a lot of good deeds and a lot of good behavior. Because, uh, I mean, clearly there are some poor that they're supposed to give this stuff to. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, That's and, the whole and, point. That's where the final stipulation of the zakah comes in. It must be distributed in the community from which it was taken. So the poor are going to distribute all of their poor gatherings, and the rich are going to distribute their zakah among themselves. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, well, it's, it's one of the principles that must be followed when giving the zakah. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So it's it is totally different, really, from Christian or Mormon tithes, right? That just yeah. go into uh, keeping the place running for Mormons uh, allows them to invest more money in Coca Cola and Pepsi products and build more temples and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, the fourth pillar is uh, the fast of Ramadan. Yes, fasting. Psalm. 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 Ah, this psalm. 
This occurs during the ninth month of the Islamic lunar calendar. Uh, this is the month in which the first revelation of the Quran came to Muhammad when he was up in the cave. What happens is Muslims whose health permits have to uh, abstain beginning at dawn and ending at sunset yep, from dawn to dusk. food, drink, and sexual activity. Now remember, <laughs> we talked about this before, masturbation, as long as you do not emit semen, is okay. Yes, yes, that was on one of our Atheist News Networks. And now, eating mermaids is not. <laughs> you cannot eat a mermaid no. from dawn to dusk during Ramadan. Especially in Ramadan. <laughs> now, uh, the funny thing about Ramadan is the fasting is obligatory, but it's forbidden for several groups for dangerous and excessively problematic. And these include prepubescent children, those with medical conditions, uh, pregnant or breastfeeding women, and uh, observing fast is not permitted for menstruating women. Yeah, people who are uh, weak from old age are also exempted from the fast. Yeah. But do you know they have a loophole for this? You can actually eat dates during fasting days. Really? Yeah. They set up all these date shops, and you can your, your fast can be broken if you are eating dates, but nothing else. They better not have a prohibition of shitting on the Sabbath, because those guys are going to shit bricks. <laughs> See, I was thinking the same thing. My God, during Ramadan, these people must be clogging up their systems. Uh, now, those uh, people who are on a journey during Ramadan can actually postpone their fast until a later time. They can make up the days, you know, into the next month. Yeah, but they have to make it up as soon as possible afterwards. Right. right. You know, it's supposed to be, um, not supposed to be a burden, but it's, it's supposed to be intended as a time to reflect on spirituality and those less fortunate, right? So it's... you've given zakat, and now you're supposed to feel what it's like to be less fortunate. Yeah, yeah. It's not supposed to be a burden. Let, let me tell you something. Mormonism fasts once a month. That's a burden. Fasting for uh, an entire month, that's a little bit more than you can call a burden. It's blissful. That's just it's yeah, wonderful. blissful my ass. We look if forward. If eating our dates for an entire day. We look forward to it. God, I was going to blow out an O-ring if I was doing oh, that. By the way, those who are exempted from the fast can make it up by paying the, what they would have spent on uh, food to a poor person. Yes. So rich people get, the um, once again, uh, the nice end of that stick. Yes, yes. And uh, the funny thing is, in addition to abstaining from drink, food, and sexual intercourse, you have to abstain from everything obscene and irreligious sights and sounds. So that means during Ramadan, irreligiosity will not be played on their radios. Not until nighttime. Yes, not until nighttime. Uh, after breaking your fast, many uh, Muslims go to the mosque and say the evening prayer, followed by special prayers that are only said during Ramadan. More fucking prayers. <laughs> well, God's senile. you got to remind him of why you're there. Yeah, yeah. especially during the whole month of Ramadan. Yeah. By the way, God, it's Ramadan. We're here for I, you. I'm sorry, what did you say? I need a sixth time. <laughs> So, Ramadan is a special time to recite or listen to recitations from Quran. This is a very interesting. They have, like, the equivalent of rock stars. Um, they fill whole goddamn stadiums. These people sit there and recite the Quran. And it's like kind of like the ancient uh, Greeks, you know, the traveling bards like Homer. They'd sit yeah. there and uh, recite all these things. 
but uh, you've heard, all heard the story before. <laughs> but I mean, over and over and over. Seriously, they sit there and listen to the recitations from Quran uh, in Arabic. So it's broken into thirty sections, and they should be recited each day of the month. Oh my God! God mother of Christ! And you know, I know they're supposed to refrain from violence, anger, so on and so forth. But listening to that over and over again, I don't know if I could refrain from violence and anger. At that point, I think it's nearly impossible. Yeah. Profane language already out the window as soon as they started. <laughs> On the 27th night of Ramadan, uh, they commemorate the night of power and excellence when Muhammad received his first revelation in the cave. And the, <laughs> month, the month ends with one of two great fasts or Eids, the Eid al-Fitrah which resembles Christmas or Hanukkah uh, with card and gift giving. Now, the thing I've always wondered... Everyone's got to have Christmas. Everyone's got to have it, sooner or later. But the thing I've wondered is, how do you make a great fast? Because you're fasting, you're already hungry, how do you make yourself even hungrier? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think at that point, at the end of 30 days, you're so goddamn hungry that it's a great fast. Yeah, every day you're fasting. So, uh, yeah, you're eating so many dates that you're shitting bricks as you're going. <laughs> that must be what their houses are made of. out of. It's just date bricks. Your colon is filled with uh, concrete-like <laughs> date concretions. Oh, God. <laughs> so the fifth pillar, the, maybe the, the fast, the great fast, is the day before you just completely empty your bowels. Oh, God, I would hate to be a sewer cleaner at that point. Yeah, the next day is known as Plumber's Paradise, (laughs) where they make all of the money for the entire year in one day. Yes, in one day, trying to cut these in half so they can be flushed. (laughs) The fifth pillar, the pilgrimage or Hajj. Ah, the Hajj. We all love a Hajj. This occurs uh, 60 days after Ramadan, and at least once in their lifetime, every adult Muslim who is physically and financially able must take this pilgrimage. Yeah, now it's kind of funny because you can actually take the pilgrimage when it isn't uh, during the religious time, but it doesn't count because you didn't take it during when the Hajj was necessary. Oh, uh, you didn't take it sixty days after Ramadan. Yeah, if you don't, if, if you you can travel there, and it's encouraged to travel the Hajj as much as possible. But if you miss that 60-day deadline, it doesn't count it's as the Hajj. The true Hajj. It's not the true Hajj. You're encouraged to do it, it just doesn't count. Uh, this Hajj commemorates events in the life of Abraham, Hagar, and Ishmael, you know, when uh, she fled into the wilderness, um, as well as the prophet Muhammad during his Hijra. <laughs> that's, the, that's the purpose of the Hajj. Yeah, I'm sure that's exactly the purpose of the Hajj. Uh, men are supposed to wear, uh, everyone actually is supposed to wear simple clothing. Men wear two simple pieces of white cloth. Actually, that's the IRAM, the I-H-R-A-M clothing. And when you're doing your pilgrimage towards Mecca, about 6.2 miles or 10 kilometers out of Mecca, all of you dress up like this, men and women. You all dress up in this IRAM clothing. Right. Women sh- uh, should wear modest dress. Their bodies should be covered with the exception of their face, hands, and feet. Um, because those apparently aren't sexual. You can't be turned on by feet. So people, uh, pilgrims with foot fetishes are loving it. <laughs> I'm sure they're sitting down there going, wow, look at them cankles. <laughs> uh, well, the, the point of this is so that you know everyone's one, right? There aren't any different classes. 
different races. They're no different. Everyone's one in God's eyes. So all on the Hodge are, are equal. Well, that is actually kind of funny that you bring up because the pilgrim or the Haji is actually honored in their community. And it's funny because uh, this is actually an incentive to perform the Hajj. And uh, the Islamic teachers are constantly walking around saying, this is supposed to be devotion, not to gain social standing. And yet, if you're a Haji, you're honored within the community. So it's kind of a, a catch-22 there. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Uh, I love it. Throughout the pilgrimage, the pilgrims are supposed to cry out, I am here, O oh God. You are without any associate. I am here. I am here. I am here. <laughs> Apparently, God's so senile, you know, you need that repetition. He forgets where you are. I am here. Where? I am here. Now, they're Come probably again? doing that. <laughs> they're probably <laughs> doing that because they have to walk seven times around the Kaaba, touching the black stone. Yeah. Yeah, that's the circumambulation. Um, the the Kaaba is covered with a black cloth embroidered with gold thread, and it's got Quranic verses in there. Um, this symbolizes uh, the believer's entry into the divine presence, which again, you know, kind of reenacts the angels walking around the throne of God. Um, and the Kaaba's eastern corner is a black stone. It's 12 inches in diameter. Uh, tradition says this black stone came from heaven. Of course it did. And that would explain why they have to travel seven times between Mount Safa and Mount Marwa. Yeah, it's a running between the nearby hills, uh, commemorating Hagar's frantic search in the desert for water for her son Ishmael. Now, water <laughs> sprang up miraculously, producing the well of Zamzam, which many pilgrims drink and they bring samples back home. Of course they do. And uh, what do you suppose they bring back home as they're symbolically stoning the devil in Mina? This is where they cast uh, seven pebbles at a stone pillar, symbolizing Abraham's rejection of Satan's temptation that Abraham not follow God's command and sacrifice his son. So yeah. thank God he followed through with it and killed uh, Isaac. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I love that the devil's just standing there in front of these three walls so they can throw rocks at him. Ow, ow, quit it, ouch. Hey, hey, that one's stung. Ow. Come on. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the joke that my... Jewish chemistry professor told uh, in high school. <laughs> Maybe you'd get fired for this, although Park City's fairly liberal. Uh, it goes like this. Um, the woman's taken out in the act of adultery, right? Yeah. And uh, they uh, talking to Jesus, what should we do with this woman? You know, She should be stoned according to the uh, command of God. And Jesus is drawing you know, his finger in the sand. And uh, they say, you know, what, what are we going to do? Should we stone her? And he stands up and he says... Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And, you know, from the crowd, this big stone comes out and hits the lady in the forehead. And Jesus goes, God, Mom, I'm trying to make a point here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that joke. <laughs> oh, Lord. So all these idiots get there and they throw seven little stones at a stone pillar. Oh, God. Yeah. What, three different walls uh, called Jar uh, Jamarat within the city of Mina, just east of Mecca. Yeah, they, they walk down there and they have to stone the walls. Uh, anyway, the, the pilgrims finally assemble at the plain of Arafat, where Muhammad delivered his farewell sermon. They reflect on God and Muhammad's sermon, where he stated, Hear me, O people, for I know not if I sh ever shall meet with you in this place after this year. 
I have yes, left this the... is why I am leaving the leadership <laughs> to my brother. <laughs> I'm leaving a clear line of succession to you. <laughs> I have left among you that which I, if you hold fast to, it shall preserve you from all error. Just conveniently forgets to leave them a line of succession. Yes, yes, there's no error in leaving. <laughs> <laughs> so... Which, of course, you know, divided the Muslims into two communities. Um, you can't foresee that stuff. fighting and, yeah. So one of the reasons to perform the Hajj is that if you do it with great devotion and sincerity, uh, you'll be forgiven a, of your sins. So many elderly and sick take the Hajj and hope that they're going to die. And so <laughs> on the Hajj, so they'll be forgiven and go straight up to heaven. That makes sense. I, I like doesn't, the Hajj. Doesn't this remind you a little bit? of Linus in the pumpkin patch. <laughs> There's a good analogy. If he's sitting there with great sincerity, he's hoping that the great pumpkin will arrive, right? And uh, yep. it never does because he's not sincere. Of course he's so not I got sincere. I got news for you people. The great pumpkin will not arrive on the Hodge. <laughs> yes, your death may, as you are wandering there hoping to be forgiven of your sins, but there will be no great pumpkin. So it ends with the Eid al-Atta, Feast of Sacrifice, celebrated by pilgrims and Muslims around the world. An animal is sacrificed, representing Abraham's ability to substitute an animal for the sacrifice of his son. And uh, Ishmael, I didn't know that Abraham was supposed to sacrifice his son Ishmael, I thought that was Isaac. Well, you know, they are coming from a different branch of the family tree. They can make their shit up just as well. Maybe it was one of the corruptions the Jews um, substituted Isaac instead of Ishmael. Makes sense to me. So those who leave the Hajj and complete it successfully may put a prefix in front of their name to refer to themselves as El Hajj or Haji. Yeah, so... once again, they got their teachers out there saying, hey, this is supposed to be an expression of devotion to Allah. If that's the case, then why are you announcing it to the entire world? Hey, by the way, I did the Hajj. <laughs> I'm a Haji. I'm a Haji. Hey. <laughs> uh, you will refer to me as El Hajj. Yes, yes. Haji. I, I kind of like that. Uh, wasn't there a, a boy explorer with a Haji? Haji. Um, <laughs> now, some claim that the sixth pillar of Islam is jihad. Yes, uh, the jihad. But we'll get into that next week when we discuss the Quran, uh, some crazy Islamic beliefs, and women's status in Islam. Yeah, un unfortunately, there is not enough time to cover all the craziness in Islam. Not even close. We'll see you next week.